Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, welcome to Loving Liberty. So glad you could join us today. My guest is Eric Peters from epautos.com. Eric, uh, we both took a little bit of a respite over the last week or so. So we're back to uh, to talk about current events from a hopefully a principled and optimistic point of view uh, without ducking reality. Uh, first of all, let me ask you this. I know you, you took a little uh, reality break, as did I. Talk to yep. me about, uh, about how that worked for you, and uh, would you recommend it to others? Yeah, I actually uh, had a, had, I, I, I dabbed my toe back in normal life again. Rather than being PTSD'd every day with the juggernaut of terrible news uh, about which of our freedoms are about to be taken away from us again based on the latest crisis du jour, I spent the weekend rehabilitating my chicken coop, getting some, um, getting some chicks and some ducks, uh, and going to the rural store where uh, normal people were walking around without face diapers and without being cattle shooted. And I, and I said to my girlfriend, my God, this feels like America again. Yeah. And I, I spent some time in, in Yellowstone Park, which uh, thankfully is beyond the reach of most cell service and, and Internet service. Mm-hmm. And so I had no choice but to confront uh, lots of natural beauty, scenery, birds and beasties. And, and I encountered a lot of people, surprising number of people for as cold as, and, and wintry as it was um, from all different walks of life. And guess what? Nobody was trying to force their viewpoint on me or control me in any way. They were just pleasant people enjoying some normalcy. It was a reminder yeah. of better days, I suppose. Yeah, it's it's much to be recommended. Uh, you and I were talking a little bit off the air, and uh, anybody listening to this broadcast, I uh, I commend it to them. Just tune out of this stuff for a few days. Do something that's fun. The F word. Uh, go out and have a normal life, and 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 allow yourself to not be besieged by. Uh, this just this constant background noise of terrible news that's being used to terrify everybody and beat them into submission. Yeah, and it's let's let's dive into this topic about uh, all must kneel and all must take a knee. Um, you know, the social justice warriors are feeling very emboldened right now, and there is no neutral space. There's nowhere you can stand or sit this one out. You will either bend the knee or you will be destroyed by the mob. Mm-hmm. Give me your take on on the new enforced. Uh, approved thoughts that, that are coming our way? Well, the, the tragedy is that the authoritarian problem that we have with police is being manipulated and turned into a manufactured race problem, which it isn't. Uh, more white people are shot and abused by, by cops on a numerical basis than black people, but that's beside the point. We don't want to get into this, this egg-counting game uh, the problem is authoritarianism. It's not racism. The Klan is not running amok. And these hardcore leftists are using this as a way to shame people and get them to just submit and obey, very similarly to the way this coronavirus thing is being used to shame everybody into docilely accepting the revocation of basic liberties. And I'm just curious, Eric, when people, I don't know if people, maybe they don't dare approach you and say, Eric, you need to change your point of view, or you're just, you're the epitome of white privilege, but how do you answer when someone wants to foist weaponized guilt upon you? Well, I answer it simply in the following manner. I'm guilty for what I've done, and uh, to my knowledge, I've never oppressed anyone, 
uh, whether they're black, white, brown, whatever color they happen to be. I've not owned slaves. My parents didn't own slaves. My great-grandparents didn't own slaves. And it's a loathsome concept, I think, uh, to hold people somehow responsible, if that's even logically possible, for something that was supposedly done by uh, maybe their great-great-grandparents or not even them, but just people who happen to have a, a kind of vague ethnic, cultural, social kinship to those people. That's a very pernicious and evil concept, in my opinion. No, I, I agree. I don't know if you're familiar with a writer by the name of Tom Cranawitter, but he had no, a, I'm not. He, he's, he's out of Colorado, very principled writer. And I, I just I follow him on Facebook because he has some real gems of wisdom, one of which was he said, look, people who are saying, you know, if, if you're not on board with if you're not hashtag Black Lives Matter or hashtag this cause or that cause, he says, I refuse to participate in perpetuating tribalism. I will celebrate the, the absolute value of each individual and the necessity of protecting the individual rights of every single person. But I will not participate in tribalism, and therefore I can't participate in your identity politics. That's right. The, these people want to have us organize into these mobs based on things like race, uh, based on things like political affiliation, because in the in the ancient tradition, divide and conquer. It is it is more effective to control a population when the population is at each other's throats rather than at the throat of the true source of their oppression, which is the government. Yeah, it's uh, th- this is the thing when 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 it comes to enforcing those ideas, where do people turn? They turn to the institution that has force at its disposal. That's exactly right. So it's really important that we not fall into this dangerous dynamic of viewing us, each other, not as individuals, as human beings uh, who are each responsible for what we do as individuals, but as members of some kind of a glutinous mass. And uh, we're all either uh, guilty or innocent uh, of whatever it is, according to whatever our group membership is. That's the sort of thing that goes on in prison where, you know, you're, you're going to have to join, what is it, the, the Black Panthers or the Aryan Nations or the Chicano, whatever the heck it is, uh, in order to survive. Do you want to live that way outside of a prison? Not even. <laughs> Not even. Well, no, I certainly don't. I, the, the main thing is... You have to have thick skin if you want to be an effective person, not only in in standing for the cause of freedom, which I hope most people will do, but just in in asserting that autonomy over your own life. You got to have thick skin because right now there's a lot of uh, manipulation techniques being brought to bear, and and it's sad to see companies, whole companies. Uh, remember how you know just a few weeks ago, you know all the companies, a couple weeks ago, all the companies were were all gay. You're right, they're flying the rainbow flag, and then the yep. the the George Floyd case comes along, and now now we're all black. We're all Black Lives Matters. It seems yep. like there's there's no fad that they won't grab onto, and, and I'm you know. I call it a fad because I promise you, in another couple of weeks, there will be something else that they'll be There'll obsessing be something over. Else. But, you know, I don't think it takes a thick skin. I think it just simply takes uh, not accepting guilt for things that you have not done, not being shamed uh, by somebody for their own neurosis. Like, you know, for example, this whole thing with the face diapering, as I call it. Uh, you know, if somebody is neurotically obsessed with getting sick and they want to wear a mask, that's fine. But their fear, their anxiety, their neurosis doesn't impose an obligation on people who aren't neurotic to accommodate them because you don't want to hurt their precious feelings. Yep. Well said. Let's let's broach the subject of uh, police. 
Because right now, this is a big question on yep. a lot of people's minds. Um, the Supreme Court just yesterday refused to hear cases involving qualified immunity. All right. Yeah. Uh, that's that's kind of set. Actually, I'd like to get your reaction on that. Could we have expected anything different from the Supreme Court? Uh, probably not. You know, the, the powers that be, which are the arbiters of their own power, uh, rarely uh, voluntarily reduce their own power. This business of qualified immunity is one of the great problems that we have with what is styled law enforcement these days. Uh, because you've essentially given special privileges, special dispensation to a class of people that have power and authority above and beyond what you and I have, uh, in which they are permitted to actually abuse the law and not be held accountable for that when they do it. That's an outrageous concept. And, of course, it, it, it I think, incentivizes bad behavior. If If you have a person who knows, well, I can pretty much do what I want, and probably nothing is going to happen to me, they're going to be inclined to do whatever they want to do, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Well, and I think I think you're the one who uh, pointed this out to me many years ago in one of your columns, and that is, you know, if, if one of us has to use some kind of force to protect ourselves, if we, if we engage in yeah. some kind of a self-defense action, the apparatus that is the state is going to swing into action with a fine-tooth comb looking for anything we did that might result in bringing charges against us. On the other hand, when it's, done, when it's done by an agent of the state, though, that same apparatus swings into action looking for any reason to exonerate or excuse what was done. That's right. Uh, you can go on YouTube and see videos. There are literally everywhere of, of cops. Now, mind you, these are people who are supposed to know what the law is, confronting people who are doing things like taking a video on a public street of things that are publicly viewable. This is, I think, a very good example. Uh, it's clearly a legal activity. These cops know perfectly well that it's a legal activity, but they don't like it. So what they'll do is they'll hustle up to that person and they'll demand ID, which is illegal. They have no legal basis for demanding ID. They'll impede the person. Uh, they'll, it, it's implicitly threatening to be dealing with a couple of cops who have guns and they're all body ar- armored up. And they'll do this with impunity. Now, this is an illegal act, which, to my knowledge, not one cop has ever been charged with, has never been convicted of, never been removed from the force. And I think they should be for things like that. When they knowingly violate a law and practically laugh in the face of somebody, it's not a trivial thing. Those things should be dealt with severely, in my opinion. Okay, we've got to take a real quick break. Eric Peters is my guest. Check out his website at epautos.com. We'll be back just the other side of these messages. Welcome back. This is Loving Liberty. Today we are talking with Eric Peters from epautos.com. Eric, uh, a big concern for a lot of people right now is uh, should there even be police? I mean, come on. We've got the defund yeah. the police movement. We've got other people. Blue Lives Matter. Um, give me your thoughts on, on the current uh, conflict out there about uh, the police and, and what do you see that, that should be happening instead? Well, I think we could look at this. Um, it would be, uh, I think, informative to look at it from kind of a market point of view in that uh, policing is a service, isn't it? It's a service that we're compelled to pay for, and I think that says a lot. I think if police were primarily concerned with doing what they say they do, which is serving and protecting, meaning protecting people's rights, protecting people's property, 
uh, keeping people from being killed by thugs, if they were performing that sort of service, I think the majority of us would probably willingly pay. We wouldn't even uh, have to be forced to pay tax dollars to fund that. The problem is much of what goes on under color of law with badges and guns has to do with enforcing these these various edicts and uh, petty tyrannies on people, things like seatbelt laws at the bottom of the scale, all the way up to this business during this corona thing of, of you know tackling moms walking their kids in a park in violation of a quarantine and hut, hut, hutting a salon or another business. The guy's just trying to earn a living, that sort of thing. And people are tired of that. I'm tired of that. And I think that's what people want to defund. And I'm all for defunding that sort of thing. Well, and, and I think we're being offered this this either or dilemma. Look, you either completely support the police or, you know, you're, you're completely, you know, wanting to get rid of them entirely. The best suggestions yep. I have heard so far have involved something along the lines of if policing is to remain, at least let it be subject to market forces. And that, that yep. means maybe, uh, first of all, get rid of qualified immunity. Secondly, require that police departments have each individual officer carry liability insurance. Because if a cop is a bad bet, if he's going to abuse his authority or otherwise cause harm, you know, the insurance company isn't going to stand for that. No, it's, you know, it's, it's the same thing that requires a doctor to have medical malpractice. But there's another aspect of this, too. It's that we should get rid of police departments, per se, and have accountability to the voters via sheriff's departments with an elected sheriff. I live in a rural county uh, where we have an elected sheriff. So this guy has to uh, be accountable to the population of the county. When you have a police department with an appointed, you know, Obergruppenführer, I like to use the old German terms for it, the guy with his five-star general epaulets on his shoulder, uh, <laughs> That that guy is completely unaccountable. He can he can essentially do whatever he wants because his boss isn't you and me, the taxpayers of the county. It is whoever the board of supervisors is, or whoever the mayor is, or whoever it is that appoints that person. And that is a dangerous thing. We need more accountability, not less. Agreed. I I would like to to have thought that the Supreme Court might have might have considered you know the the qualified immunity aspect i don't think since since that's not going to happen i don't think there's any kind of real meaningful reform Mm -hmm. and and i'm not sure what that portends for the future other than Uh, well i think they were very foolish very foolish to not uh to not consider that case differently i think it is now inevitable one way or another there is going to be accountability because people aren't going to stand for it any longer Uh, per what you and i were talking about before the break uh you know you and i both have concealed carry permits and uh, we are held to an extremely high standard with regard to even displaying our gun. As you know, you raise your shirt and show that you're carrying in a way that implies a threat. That is something that if you do it in a way that uh, is, is contrary to law, you will be arrested and you will probably be charged with a felony for that. You will be prosecuted. You will be convicted. You will even serve some time in the clink for doing that. And that's not even pulling the gun out and pointing it at somebody. Now, that sort of standard, if it applies to us, why should it not apply to professional law enforcement people who are supposedly trained, who are supposedly selected for having an even temperament, being able to work under stress and all of those things, yet they're held to a far lesser standard than we are, and there's something profoundly wrong with that. I like the stories that I hear about uh, private security companies and how they tend to handle situations. Um, Just read an article actually from, I think it was Peter C. Earle from the American Institute for Economic Research yesterday, and he talked about a a confrontation he saw at Coney Island, and uh, a guy tried to pass off a, uh, well, an expired coupon 
to get into the mm-hmm. amusement park. And they wouldn't accept it. And he was angry. And he was using profanity. And he was getting loud. And a couple of security guards, middle-aged men and women with nothing more than a radio, mm-hmm. came and stood by him. The woman had the radio ready in case she needed to call for some help. And the guy finally, the male security guard finally just told him, sir, it's time to go. And the guy walked off. Now, you yep. compare that with what, uh, what ended up getting George Floyd killed. He tried to pass, right. allegedly tried to pass a counterfeit 20. And when the police came to handle it, you know, it just escalated, escalated until finally sure. it ended up with a cop kneeling on his neck. Right, because that's the way they're trained, unfortunately. There was an interesting piece, I'm going to have to forward you this when we get off the air, that was written by a cop, a former cop, who described some of the training that they go through. And essentially, it's training that's designed to PTSD them. They are, they are subjected to watching uh, numerous videos over and over of cops being shot during traffic stops and so on, and uh, essentially uh, made to believe that every single interaction with every quote-unquote civilian could be the end of their life. And then combine that fear porn with uh, this military-style training, which is appropriate on a battlefield where you have to kill the enemy, as applied to civilian law enforcement. And it's inevitable that you're going to get the sort of immediate hyper-escalation and grotesque abuse that we're seeing all over the place nowadays. Well, in the meantime, I guess uh, the the word to the wise is if you want to avoid police interactions, uh, maybe don't go out and uh, engage in... uh, Oh, I don't know, uh, rioting, looting, that kind of stuff. That's one way. Well, well, the irony is those people are the ones who aren't being bothered. That's why people are angry. That's why people like you and I are angry. We're not criminals, but yet you and I are treated like criminals if we try to go to work, if we you know, violate a quarantine, if we walk our kid in the park. We're the immediate object of violent hut-hut-hutting, but these people, these thugs, these actual criminals who go out and burn down a city, nothing happens to them. It sounds like what, what people need is a, a more clear understanding of the difference between mala in se and mala prohibita laws. Yes, exactly. In Absolutely. Fact, and, yeah, that, that, you know, that means malicious intent versus simply a violation of a statute. And, you know, something that's harmful in and of itself and something that's simply illegal. Well, like you had pointed out, one of one of the, the things that, that gets people crosswise with police is the innumerable dare I say, BS laws, the little, the little, the, the minutia that, that will bring the man into your life. Um, if those things were off the books, I think that would also go a long way towards uh, limiting those, those bad police encounters. Sure. There are so many what are called pretextual reasons, for example, for traffic stops. Uh, everything from an out-of-date inspection sticker to too much window tint or yada, yada, yada. Those things should all be done away with. If, 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 if we return to this idea that uh, somebody has to have actually done some kind of a harmful thing, you know, something, somebody's been hurt, some property has been damaged, something like that, let the police deal with that sort of thing and these other bureaucratic, technical, foul things. Let's, let's deal with them in some other way that does not involve people with body armor and guns and escalation to violent force over trivialities. It's, it's, it's absolutely crazy that a guy who jaywalks or a guy who tries to pass a $20 fake bill or whatever winds up dead over that. That's crazy. That's not sustainable. Well said. We've got about a minute here, Eric. Let's, let's talk a little bit about your website. I want to steer okay. our listeners in your direction because I think you have a wealth of knowledge. You talk about a lot of political things, and I think you have very sound advice. You also talk about some pretty fun stuff as well. 
I try to. You know, I'm hoping that we can get back to that. Uh, I wrote an article about the history of the electric car the other day that some people might find interesting, going all the way back to the 1850s. Not new technology. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that. Um, and I had something also uh, recently about a classic muscle car from the 80s, the Monte Carlo SS, that I'm a big fan of, which many people listening to this might recognize. But I wanted to mention one more thing before we get off, and that is this whole thing of being uh, shadow banned and demonetized and all of that by the, the social media oligarchs. I've begun uh, doing some end running. I recently joined Parler. Are you familiar with that? I've heard of it, yeah. I decided to try it out. Apparently, they don't suppress speech, and you can actually commit wrong think uh, and not be <laughs> shadow banned. So my handle now on Parler uh, is epeters952. I'm readily accessible there. Um, and also, of course, on the website, uh, ep, uh, epautos.com. Encourage anybody to, who might be interested to stop by, have a look, and, and post some comments. Hey, welcome back. This is Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Again, please hold your calls until the next hour. We'll open up the phones then. I know you have a lot on your mind, as do I. And let's talk for a moment about, well, about our situation. Eric Mutsos, who, in my mind, is becoming one of the leaders. He has, in, in troubled times, there are people who answer that call to step up and provide leadership. And I think Eric is probably one of the most shining examples of someone who is doing this and doing it for the right reasons. This is not about, uh, you know, furthering his brand or, you know, creating a name for himself. It's about recognizing a need, having skin in the game and stepping up and doing something simply because it needs to be done. And he had a very uh, thought provoking post uh, that he posted this late last night, actually on Facebook. Listen to what he says here. He asks the question, how did they convince the world to social distance, mask up, have no funerals, forcibly homeschool while still taxing us for public education, stay in our homes, stop going to church, forfeit incomes and personal businesses, turn on our friends and neighbors with a phone number. Actually, I think he means turn in our friends and neighbors with a phone number, hug our grandparents through plastic, thoroughly have us on the verge of civil war with each other. That's a fair question. How were we convinced to do or to go along with all of these things? Eric says, all we all to turn around and then tell us that most of it is nixed and completely negated. If we want to protest, if we want to riot, if we want to kill even more people, loot businesses, many already on the edge of bankruptcy, deface national monuments, destroy our cities, defund and disband our police, set everything on fire. And all the while, we're allegedly at tremendous risk from an oh-so-deadly virus that can be diagnosed without official testing or with so-called testing being counted and reported dishonestly and reported on death certificates even if we die by falling off a cliff. And even though it's super dangerous, things that actually keep us healthy, like health food stores, farmer's markets, Garden nurseries and seeds, gyms, health facilities, chiropractic centers, naturopathic health centers, outdoor activities and parks, those are all taken away. But cigarettes, alcohol, cannabis, fast food joints, Walmarts, abortion centers, those are deemed essential. And Eric says now our children are being forced to go back to schools that will feel like the prison result of a war zone with guaranteed, just wait for it, mandated 
an improperly tested vaccine pushed by yours truly, billionaire Gates, that's already shown severe reactions in many of the so-called testers. And so Eric wonders, how did America, home of the free, become a fascist communist regime destroying lives and creating dependence so quickly? He says global totalitarianism over a so-called virus that's becoming more and more questionable to more and more people. And again, he asks, what world are we living in and how come so many are complying? He says, think about it. Think hard. It's right in front of you. That's a hard stance, I understand. And some people may think, well, now, Eric, you should have toned that down or at least sugarcoated it to make it a little more pleasant to consume. No, I disagree. This is a time for this is a time for straight talk. It's a time for truth to be spoken, even if that truth is not pleasing to your ears or if it is sometimes painful to acknowledge. That's the price you pay for being a citizen or at least a, a contributing citizen to the world around you. You've got to be willing to think clearly. You've got to be willing to think independently and face unpleasant truths as you help to seek solutions rather than try to outsource it to somebody else. Because I promise you, in this day and age, the more you outsource this to somebody else, the more they will come up with a solution that benefits them at the expense of your autonomy, your liberty, your ability to live free without a, without a hand clapped over your mouth. And it leads us to another point, which is the, the incredible double standard that we have seen emerge I mean, for so long, people, I mean, the, the first time Utah Business Revival had its meeting at the uh, Salt Lake City County building, this has been a month or two, well, a couple months ago now, the first time they had that meeting, Eric Mutzos called me and said, are you going to be there? And I told him, yeah, yeah, I'll come. And he asked me, are you willing to be arrested? And I had to really stop and think because that seemed like a legitimate concern. It was happening in many other places. I'm happy to say, for the most part, Utah law enforcement really didn't, they didn't take a hard stance on this. They didn't enforce things like you saw in other areas. Southern California, holy cow, holy lockdown, Batman. They were, they were ticketing people simply for sitting in their cars watching a sunset. Just ridiculous. But we had to consider things like this. Well, if I, uh, you know, if I open my business, am I going to get fined? Is my business license going to be taken away? Am I, am I facing the prospect of arrest? Again, we saw this play out over and over again in various places across the country. But in the meantime, after the death of George Floyd, look at all the thousands upon thousands of protesters that have come out and some of the activities that have ensued from there. Why is there no concern about gatherings of people as long as they're there to protest in the name of something that I guess is an approved narrative by those who, uh, who are currently holding the reins of power. There's a great article by Anders Koskinen. This is from intellectualtakeout.org. Protester privilege and its corresponding kingmakers. And he spells out perfectly how this works. He says, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio's army of COVID-19 contact tracers will not be asking New Yorkers if they attended a protest in recent weeks. That's according to city officials. Spokesperson Avery Cohen told the city, no person will be asked proactively if they attended a protest. The 1,000-strong test and trace corps, however, will continue to ask, do you live with anyone in your home? 
They'll also ask about all of your close contacts. In other words, anyone you've been within six feet of for at least 10 minutes. Now, how this would not include anyone you've been next to at a march or a die-in, a rally, or other protest action is unclear. But then it seems there's a lot of uncertainty going around for Bill de Blasio and New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. The mental gymnastics they're doing would make anyone's head spin. Cuomo said last week of COVID-19 spread, please get that test. That's the one variable in this equation that we're not sure of. We don't know what the effect of of those protests are. Now, the same politicians who have spent months insisting that religious gatherings must be forbidden and millions of people's ability to earn a living must be suppressed, even if it saves just one life, are now bending over backwards to accommodate mass gatherings far in excess of what an ordinary church service or business setting would accomplish. Cuomo said last week, if you were at a protest, I understand your point. I'm with you. We also have the situation with the coronavirus. Act responsibly. Get a test. Get a test. So Anders Koskinen asks, where was this trust for the pastors who wanted to reopen their churches and tend to the spiritual needs of their flocks? Where was this understanding for the millions of people left unemployed by government mandated shutdowns of the economy? Surely churches and restaurants are able to better enforce social distancing and sanitation guidelines than any protest could. He says Cuomo knows very well what an aid the protests could be in spreading COVID-19. He's just choosing to ignore it. Cases will likely increase along with deaths, creating a very convenient excuse for power-loving politicians to prolong the economic and social shutdowns of the lives of ordinary Americans, many of whom had nothing to do with the protests in the first place, and who have actually been living up to the trust and understanding that Cuomo so graciously extends to his favored group of dissenters. Now, Anders Koskinen says, George Floyd's death was a tragedy, and it's right and good for people to engage in peaceful protests, demanding the government change its policies and practices. However, he says the current practice of allowing for one type of protest in the midst of a public health crisis while demonizing other protests is an exercise in tyranny. As individuals, Cuomo and de Blasio are perfectly entitled to value the cause and the people of Black Lives Matter over the people who lost their livelihoods to the COVID-19 shutdowns. The problem arises, as Frank Meyer explained in his essay, Collectivism Rebaptized, when these men in power attempt to enforce their views upon others. Frank Meyer says a belief in the unique value of each individual person is a belief which is the first principle of any philosophy of freedom. But he says it's only the first principle. However deeply it is held, it is not by itself sufficient to guarantee the freedom of men in society. Too many interpretations are possible as to what the integrity of the individual person consists of. And given the persuasiveness of one of these interpretations, men will always be found who, if they possess the power, will attempt to enforce their interpretation on other men. End quote. Anders Koskinen says, Is putting trust in certain groups while demonizing and oppressing others, you know, in doing that, are are, are Cuomo and de Blasio using the power of government to create disparities by attempting to enforce their definitions of integrity? They extend privileges to one class while others are demonized while asking for equitable treatment by their government. So it remains to be seen how long such government-created discrimination will be tolerated by the American people. We may yet see a quicker end to the public's acceptance of COVID-19 shutdowns as a result of this new set of standards. I'll have this posted in the show notes at LovingLiberty.net. This is Loving Liberty. We'll be back after these messages. 
Well, hey there. Welcome back. This is Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Thanks again for being part of our growing audience. And let's take a moment here to talk about barbarians. Now, I've used this term before in in describing uh, what I thought was barbaric behavior. And that, you know, victimizing other people, just wantonly trying to destroy any, you know, any of the uh, evidence of civilization or any of the facets of civilization just because, well, it's there. I just just want to destroy it. Basically, people acting out in violent, destructive ways. And I've never felt bad about it, but boy, I used it once in, in a column that I wrote and, and, and someone took real exception. I mean, it was like, it was like a, they, they felt like I had used a strongly forbidden word. And it got me wondering, well, do I really understand, you know, what, uh, what barbarian is or am I misusing the word? And uh, no, I still stand by, I think that when a person's actions are, are unnecessarily destructive or just, uh, they're, they're just out of control. I think I think basically it's it's like the old remember the Supreme Court justice. I I can't exactly define what pornography is, but I know what I see. Know it when I see it. I would say the same thing for barbarism. And there's a terrific analysis in the Washington Times dot com from Richard W. Ron. New barbarians deny free speech to others and destroy historical artifacts. Now, he gives some pretty good examples. I want to share this with you. He says barbarians are groups of people who engage in wanton destruction of civilized places and institutions. Barbarians are driven by a desire for others' material goods through theft. Looting would be another way to put that. And for power. Barbarism, he says, has a history as long as civilization. The Roman Empire in later years was sacked by various barbarian tribes. In the 13th century, the Mongol horde destroyed civilizations from Mongolia to the gates of Europe. Vienna, and much of China and Korea. In recent times, the Nazis, or National Socialists, started their barbaric acts by mass book burnings in 1933 in an attempt to destroy ideas they did not like. This quickly led to the theft and destruction of property owned by the Jews and others, leading to mass killings. The communist barbarians, beginning in Russia in 1917, engaged in an orgy of idea suppression, theft, and murder, all in the name of creating the new Soviet man. Millions of Ukrainian kulaks, small farmers and merchants, and others were deliberately starved to death, otherwise killed or put in gulags. And in China, Mao Zedong and his fellow communist barbarians seized power in 1949, In 1958, he launched the Great Leap Forward, which is estimated to have resulted in 30 million to 55 million deaths, primarily from the resulting famine. In 1966, he launched the Great Proletarian Cultural Revolution, which resulted in not only many more deaths, but also the widespread destruction of historical and cultural artifacts. After the Taliban seized control of Afghanistan, it undertook a reign of terror to consolidate power. As typical of barbarians, it sought to erase much of Afghan history, including the blowing up of monumental monumental Buddhist sculptures in 2001. These are sculptures that were completed between the 3rd and 6th centuries. Do you remember that? Remember how the whole world reacted with outrage to that barbaric act? Richard Ron says the new barbarians are acting true to form. They begin by trying to deny the free speech rights of others by establishing speech codes and approved speech. Then they destroy historical artifacts, including statues and monuments, and engage in theft and destruction of the property of others. See, under this definition and up against the backdrop of those historical examples, I would say, yeah, what we're seeing play out right now in the social justice cleansing of American history, I think it uh, it definitely stoops 
to the level of barbarism. And Richard Ron says this is usually followed by the denial of freedom of movement and assembly and restriction or even seizure of weapons of self-defense, all in the name of public safety. Finally, he says there's the arrest and incarceration of those who violate the new restrictions and speech codes, including the dissemination of, quote, harmful ideas and assembly without permission, including attending religious services, etc. The new barbarians include the street thugs who often hijack legitimate peaceful demonstrations and then engage directly in the destructive acts, but in fact are controlled by ideologues and their financial supporters, who then, like Hitler, Lenin, Stalin, Mao, and Mullah Omar, stay away from the front lines where they might be injured. Now, the behind-the-scenes barbarians include self-described intellectuals, most often college professors who in past times were instrumental in the creation and dissemination of knowledge, but have often morphed into destroyers of knowledge. Members of the media who lack both historical knowledge and are not smart enough to think beyond stage one and who only report what they want to see rather than what is. He says also included are executives of media companies who have lost their ethical compass and who only see the short-run ratings increases and profits that come from covering and encouraging violence and chaos. And finally, members of the political class who have been unable to acquire total power through the ballot box and have now resorted to trying to seize power by any means. Richard Ron says, if you as I have read much of the history of totalitarian movements or traveled to places where the totalitarians gained control or talked to people who have experienced it directly or are the sons and daughters of those who have suffered, he says, you know, my comments are not an overstatement. The new barbarians, despite their very limited knowledge of history, are smart enough to know that they must repress and stop free speech. In recent weeks, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, and others have become increasingly explicit about not allowing contrary opinions on their pages or airwaves. Petitions are demanding that editors and other contributors to academic and other publications who have different views from the new barbarians be fired. Twitter, Google, and other new media are engaged in active censorship of views contrary to those held some out of political expediency, by the heads of the companies. He says many of the new barbarians are so ignorant of history, they fail to understand that slavery and serfdom and assorted cruelties were the norm of mankind until the last couple of centuries. In fact, a couple of African countries only made slavery illegal in recent years. So if today's standards were applied to all of those depicted in the world's historical monuments, most would need to be destroyed. And this includes the one to President Franklin Roosevelt in Washington, D.C., who put 120,000 innocent Japanese Americans in concentration camps in 1942 because they had the wrong ancestry. Richard Ron says students are no longer taught about the Scottish Enlightenment and its leaders like David Hume and Adam Smith, whose ideas so influenced the American founders. Many of the statues and monuments from at least the time of ancient Greece were erected to honor and to remind future generations the contributions that those so depicted made to human knowledge and the advancement of civilization. And he rightly concludes their destruction will only add to ignorance, not to understanding. Now, this is a really relevant topic, and I'm... I'm going to give you a little teaser. Tomorrow on my program, I'm going to be interviewing a friend of mine, um, who lived through the killing fields of Cambodia. She and her family were survivors, but not by much. 
And when you hear her story, I hope you will understand that, you know, this this uh, concern about what is going on and the direction that it's leading and the idea that uh, that there there's a revolutionary fervor sweeping through America, whether it be a Bolshevik type revolutionary or a Maoist type revolutionary, it's happening. And maybe we won't boil it down to just saying it's communism at its roots. It's, it's collectivism, of which communism is a particularly pernicious form. But you need to hear from someone who actually saw it happen with her own eyes in her own country. Granted, she was a child. And I'll tell you one of the most striking things. I'm not trying to steal her thunder here, but one of the things that I'll be asking her about is when she and her family had a chance to flee. They had a chance to leave and get to safety. And I mean literally a plane warming up on the tarmac at the airport ready to take them to safety. It was either her mother or her father. I think it was her mother who said, no, our government would never do that to us. They would never harm us. And by missing that window of opportunity, her father was taken away and killed she and her mother and sisters were put into the, the killing fields by the Khmer Rouge. Now, you understand, I'm not suggesting that all oh, the Khmer Rouge are coming. The Nazis are coming. I'm not even suggesting the Bolsheviks are coming. I'm just suggesting that the same dynamics that propelled these groups into power are at play right now in our lives. And one of the surest indicators is when you find that there are certain ideas considered so harmful that people say, I have a legitimate you know, excuse to come up and physically violate your person, punch you in the face, beat you to a cripple, whatever it takes, just because you don't agree with me. You can know you are headed toward totalitarianism. It's not a matter of, are we there yet? Look at the direction that we're going and ask yourself, how can we, at the very least, slow our advance in that direction, if not steer a different course? It ain't going to happen by itself. We've got to find the courage to speak up, and that means stick your neck out. Well, that's why we're here, to give you the uh, intellectual ammo to do that. <laughs> 